Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another holiday episode of Colt and Classic Podcast. This is the day we tackle what many have tackled before, uh, but I think we'll have a lot of new insight and new info on the Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, we also watched the full Riff Tracks version of this. Our good friends at RiffTracks.com did a comedy track uh, to it, starring Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy. And it is uh, phenomenal, and I highly recommend you check it out if you've already seen uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special, or if you think you just might have trouble getting through it unaided. So this film is, it is a real thing that happened and aired once on television in 1978 on November 17th. And uh, the intent was to have a, a TV special that would bridge the gap uh, in a way between uh, Star Wars A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back was in production. It had not aired yet when this came out. So uh, the intent was is that, okay, well, people may forget how much they liked Star Wars A New Hope when, uh, when, when The Empire Strikes Back comes out. So let's use this to keep them going, which actually sounds like a solid marketing strategy. Uh, I kind of wish some of the contemporary series had done this. However, this was... As our good friend Jeff Tucker said uh, before we started on the air here, it is infamous, and there are a lot of reasons why. So we're going to talk about it and go in deep. But first, uh, I want to introduce our guests, Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? Watch your mouth, kid. Are you going to find yourself floating home? Ah, uh, that's that's an early one. I, you could have fallen asleep 15 minutes in and still heard that line. <laughs> we also have, of course, Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Good, but why? Why? because it Why? has to be done here's the thing and 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 i just want to say there's actually a lot of information and backstory about this because it was so widely panned that everyone wanted to weigh in who was involved with the making of this special so uh there's a lot of stuff that even star wars fans and people who watched this at parties or just took the plunge and, and took it on their own to watch this they probably don't know uh so i'm excited to share this info also, rounding out our group, last but not least, is Amanda Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm good. I'm also feeling satisfied that I now know this ridiculousness started before episode four. Episode. Like the whole, like, start, not, not episode four, I'm sorry. Five. Episode one, five, 
something. Five I don't know. Entire... Before the wars of Tartar Banks, whatever uh, they were. One episode one, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so people will say the Phantom Menace uh, is is where it all started, and I'm honestly going to say that is that is not the case. Uh, I actually think that you can watch episode one now and probably find it a pretty solid film overall aside from the insanity that is Jar Jar Banks this film I don't know anyone who sings its praises uh, and and there's good reasons why and of course I am your host Nate Wyckoff comedian and reviewer for horrornews.net I'm gonna give a quick introduction to what this there's a framing story in this special and otherwise it's basically a variety show which is all the rage in the 70s and um eh, I, it, there's just so much to talk about but the framing story is that there is a holiday on uh the the planet of the wookies which uh it changes it changes names from this to uh canon but it's something like kashik or kashuk uh depends on what era of Star Wars you're watching. And this planet has a holiday called Life Day. Uh, Life Day is, uh, your guess is as good as mine. It's pure madness. There's a tree of life on the planet and they do some sort of uh, cult worship of it. I don't know. But what happens is, is that uh, Chewbacca has a family uh, consisting of a wife named Mala, a little kid named Lumpy, and a father named Itchy. Now, we're gonna get into those names shortly because it is as insane as you think. And uh, these are all Wookiees, they're in full costume, except they all look like something is woefully wrong with them compared to Chewbacca. Like Chewbacca, Chewbacca must be like the Henry Cavill, Brad Pitt, like <laughs> he, he must be the most beautiful Wookiee ever if this is standard Wookiee appearance. Um, so he has this family, and they're worried because uh, Chewbacca has never missed a life day. Apparently, Han Solo has taken the Millennium Falcon and whisked uh, Chewbacca back every life day uh, to the planet, and, and he's late. And so his family is worried. Uh, during this time, uh, the Empire is looking for rebels on the planet, and they expect Chewbacca and Han Solo. So the, there's, there's a, a framing story that involves them getting to... Chewbacca's home so they can celebrate Life Day. Everyone who's a major, major character, except for Lando, uh, if you consider him a major character, he wasn't in all three of the movies, uh, but they're in it. So Mark Hamill replies, reprises his role as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, um, uh, Peter Matthew as, uh, as uh, Chewbacca, of course. Um, and uh, Peter Mayhew, excuse me, and uh, Anthony Daniels is C-3PO. There is no one in the R2-D2 suit. He is a little machine this go around. Um, and Darth Vader has very brief bits in here, very, very brief, and he is voiced by James Earl Jones in this. And he's credited as the first time uh, as Darth Vader in this movie. So <clears throat> there's actually, I actually have a couple of things I like about this, but the entire package is what I think everyone with a brain would call a cinematic train wreck. Um, there are so many little like musical numbers and weird bullshit things crammed in here. <sighs> We're just going to dive right in and I'm going to put it to you guys. Tad, I know you're a huge Star Wars fan like I am. 
you'd seen this before. What was your, what was it like this time? Just uh, keep in mind that I like to consider myself a recovering Star Wars fan because, uh, you know, the, the whole series kind of derails and inevitably disappoints me. <laughs> um, yes, I watched this years ago and I'm pretty sure that my mind blocked out a lot of it. Um, this time around, after everything that has happened in the past 20 years, I sitting down and watching this and hearing everybody talk about it and, and rue its existence and debate whether it was canon or not, which it's, it's absolutely not, let's face it. It never was and never will be canon. No one, no, I'm pretty sure even if George Lucas came out and said it's canon, people would be like, nope, it's not, sorry. There was a lot in this that surprisingly, I was like, this isn't actually that bad if there was like 10 minutes cut out of everything. Like this should not have been two hours. I cannot believe that this was two hours long. I mean, granted with commercials, yes. which I think were part of the best, one of the best parts of the Star Wars holiday special was watching some good old late seventies cart uh, commercials. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that because the Rift Tracks version. So if you go to rifttracks.com, you can purchase um, this, uh, this video on demand uh, or streaming uh, copy. And it includes one of the better bootleg transfers of a Star Wars holiday special because it has never been released for consumer uh, ownership. It was only aired once. Um, and, it, and they included in it the original commercials uh, and riff those as well. And all I'm going to say about the commercials is uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't buy into the Mad Men fad and I didn't even like Mad Men at all is because the idea that Ad Men of the 60s were genius is hot garbage because the 70s commercials decade later are horrible they they break every rule of interest whatsoever it is it is truly a train wreck it is just people talking they actually use the phrase jive at one point in a in a, a i believe it was a general motors commercial um just awful really really terrible stuff uh and I, it just my mind was blown like i can't i i think the gods for our insane Dolly-esque commercials we have now, no matter how stupid they are and how much I'm like, that has nothing to do with anything. That's not even a joke. I'm like, you know what? It's over. And, and it will never have to watch a bland white person with this crimpy, crazy updo. Like I feel bad for, you know, ragging on the eighties feathered hairstyles that women had uh, after watching the late seventies. Cause I always enjoyed the early and mid seventies uh, styles, you know, but these late 70s ones, good God. Anyway, rough track. But if you, if you go, I, I really recommend you pick up the Rift Tracks um, version of this and enjoy it and enjoy those commercials because it really wraps the whole thing up. And I was expecting when I first watched it, Star Wars toys commercials everywhere. There is only one Star Wars Kenner toy commercial in the entire thing, and it's near the end, and it's one of the shortest commercials. Brutal. Buy Star Wars toys. Totally, totally brutal. There is a great ad for the ro remote control robot uh, Tobor, which they have to actually say like Tobor, it's robot backwards. Like, I'm like that is not, that's not a selling point. I don't know why you put that in the commercial. Okay, jumped off topic. Jeff, uh, you hadn't seen this before. What was your experience now and your, your vibe after seeing it? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's actually worse than I expected it to be. Like, even though yeah. I, I had like had some, uh, you know, some sort of 
understanding going in. But like, it's also, it's like, it to me, it's like the McDonald's plastic, you know, Happy Meals toy of the the Star <laughs> Wars universe. It's it's like it, it it's really like we're we're going back and like talking about the you know 1975 run of you know the the Scooby Doo McDonald's Happy Meals toy. It's like oh gosh, the the build quality on that was fucking terrible. You know, <laughs> it's just like it's it, it really is this thing. Clearly, they're like okay, well like you said let's 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 get some excitement back and make a little money off this but let's not put any money in no thought into it at all let's just uh you know give a couple people some kind of skits to run and some like weird song interlude i don't know it just was like it's just so fucking terrible <laughs> so what's what's shocking to me is that as you said you know no no budget there must, I couldn't find the numbers really, uh, any credible numbers, I should say. There were guesses all over the place. But of, of what this actually cost, it must have cost a pretty penny because the they have tons of guest stars. I mean, the entire thing. That is it's, true. It's a variety show, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Art James is in there. Alec Guinness is, of course, uh, in, a, in a flashback, uh, as, as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's not really in it. Um, Jefferson's Starship is one of the musical numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, See Diane Carroll, uh, of course, super famous, one of the earliest um, glam icons and stars uh, who happened to be black of television. Um, Art Carney, B. Arthur. I mean, it is a weird. So maybe the maybe the app thing is is they spent their money on the wrong things because it's yeah, like, it was still it was like shot in like like a sitcom like the bulk of it was essentially like a sitcom set essentially right like so yeah like exactly like like a single single angle like room and they they basically do most of their storytelling in that that one little spot it's mostly talking heads there's establishing shot of the because it takes place in in uh chewbacca's family's treehouse which actually looks like an awesome like art deco pad like i don't know i think it's just a set but it actually is pretty 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 swinging um I want to unpack some of what you said, but let's, let's first go to Mandy. Mandy, uh, you hadn't seen this before. I think you said, what is, <laughs> what is your, no, no, what is your no, feeling no, towards no. it now that you have finished it in its entirety? Oh my gosh. I feel like I really want to research the, um, like the labor law reform act of 1978 and really understand why there were so many union ads at that time. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Every single ad, almost like every single commercial break pretty much starts with a lengthy ad by General Motors or some affiliate of the union talking about, um, you know, interviewing quote unquote real people. Maybe they were real people, but um, maybe they should have got some actors because they are not engaging at all. And I don't understand, like, I just don't know the history of what was happening. Um, and I know we keep talking about the commercials, but they were kind of. Yeah, I was gonna say, but you asked. You were probably asking me about the movie, and I honestly just don't really have anything to say about it that you oh, haven't already said. It was. I think, I think you will. It was <laughs> so horrible. Actually, you know, I was just. I caught myself thinking many, many times while watching this how thankful I was that you gave us the riff tracks because I would not have made it through like just the regular like straight. I was, I was up thinking Christmas the special. same thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, when it happened. Here's a good here's a good example of why it's so hard to watch. Is uh, George Lucas insisted uh, he he refused to budge on the idea that um, uh, 
Chewbacca's family be the primary members of the film and not speak English. They speak Wookiee, which are edited and warped uh, recordings of bears, like real life bears. That is what the sounds are in this case. It's not Peter. It's not Peter Mayhew doing you know like his his shtick. It's actually bears. So. Um, you have the, essentially, the, except for a very short beginning scene with um, Chewbacca and Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon, you have about 15 minutes solid of, uh, or at least I'm pretty sure it's around 15 minutes, of just Wookiees talking to each other, um, going about their business. And this is where we're going to talk first about the utter terror that is Chewbacca's dad, Itchy. He is a nightmare. He is, he literally, that costume would have been brilliant in a Bigfoot film, like a true horror film based around Bigfoot because he's missing teeth. His gums are like red and inflamed. He has this like jutting underbite with this lower jaw lip that literally protrudes about two inches above his top lip. So it like covers the tip of his nose. Um, he's all shaggy. And then the worst part is that they gave him like, a patchy, hairless, pink underbelly that the others don't have, like an aged dog who's losing hair. It is the most unsettling, upsetting costume to have in this. And he spends most of the film like shrieking and roaring at little Lumpy, who runs terrified, I can only assume, off camera. I mean, he is really unsettling. Did this, is, this is this is my point about the budget, though. Like, this, I, I'm pretty sure they just used Chewbacca's out, like costume. They had it in the closet somewhere. They took it out. It looks great. Like every other character, like it looks like something that was just thrown together from the shag carpet store. You know, you just get like a couple nice shag carpets, throw them on somebody's back, and those are the costumes. You know, I'm going to argue. I actually think that they've somebody put a great deal of effort. Uh, maybe really? even more than Chewbacca in the mouths, or particularly because the lips, like Lumpy, when he when he like sneers and tries to look scary to the stormtroopers later in the film, like he bares his teeth, and you see like the wet pink lips, like it looks like an animal, just a very unsettling primate. Like there's there's a true um, internal like panic that must come from like our, our ancestral memory from seeing them mug their way through this film. Like Mala, they gave her like these like um, riff tracks jokes that like uh, the lips from, um, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Angelina Jolie. She has like this sort of very feminine curl to her lips, like a permanent smile. Um, Lumpy is flat out terrifying and disturbing and looks like drool is just piling down his face. And then a uh, little lumpy, um, he has a super round like Charlie Brown head. And in that case, I do wonder what they use to base that because like he looks like a deranged teddy bear. Like if Ginger Dead Man, the puppet was to actual gingerbread man cookies, that's sort of what lumpy is to teddy bears. Like the blown up, distended, freaky pinched face, expressionless eye, very, very weird. And of course they are like Chewbacca's costume in that you can on the rare occasions when they look up, because usually they, they have kind of a forehead ridge, you can see their human eyes and it it does not add any humanity to the whole proceeding. Mm. So you're saying the itchy toys probably didn't sell very well? So so I had to look because I'm like, who thought, who, oh, because you know that George Lucas had some, quite a bit of hand in this, um, although 
we'll talk about his his vibe from it afterward like what he did in the wake of this uh but their actual names are are long names like these are just supposed to be shortened versions of their names which makes a little more sense mala is supposed to be short for uh malatobuk and lumpy is short for lumpawarum and itchy is short for add a chick hook now uh I, I mean i don't know if that's any better it's another one of those cases where george lucas created so much backstory that never made it to any sort of film or canon and while in many cases like with his original trilogy i think it works very well uh because it seems like the it makes the world building effective because things happen regardless of our complete understanding of them and eventually reveal themselves to the audience in this case it's just it's just gobbledygook there's there's no there's no intelligible reason for this madness now as i said this is a variety show so um that was very popular so what happens is, is there's a framing story and then they find creative ways to interject little skits or various things in <laughs> In this, and there were a lot of them in it. Um, like I said, Jefferson Starship has a little animated like music video where that was fairly straightforward. Uh, one of the Imperial troopers who stops by the Chewbacca home to uh, look for rebel scum is entranced by what looks kind of like a suitcase that opens up and has like a little holographic video in it. Um, I mean, it's cute, like, okay, everyone would be moderately entertained for a second. But their video is basically just purple like animated light blur like over the top of the of the film cells so like they do with a um lightsaber but essentially what happens i don't know if anybody else noticed it literally looks like the lead singer of jefferson starship is just singing into a, a glowing pink dildo for the entire segment it's yes. really really unsettling because the glow makes it look just like a rounded pink fuzzy shape that he's holding into his mouth because it goes beyond the actual microphone shape it's just a weird like it's just not very effective um the first mini segment we get is uh it's sort of like a Cirque du Soleil green screen where you know how in um the original Star Wars trilogy at one point uh on the Millennium Falcon they're playing the animated claymation stop motion animation chess-like game which is great. Everybody loves that moment. You watch the little figures kill each other. Um, it's the same sort of concept on this. There's like a table and Itchy sets it up for Lumpy. So he stops bugging him, I guess. And he's like, uh, and, and it is, uh, they make fun of it for being super homosexual appearing, but it is incredibly odd. And everyone is wearing, of course, this skin tight acrobatic body suits. Um, and then several characters do these weird, like, duet moves where they go crotch to face and go end over end again and again and i i mean i don't i don't know like i just don't understand why that was deemed a worthy use of time because it's not very entertaining um and like we, instead of monsters they give us you know, like off, 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 off Broadway, you know, Cirque du Soleil knockoff, you know, Central Michigan. Like, it's just not very good. And um, that's the first one we get. And it goes on for several minutes. Then, uh, what's the next one we get? Uh, oh, it's the cooking segment, I believe. 
which was um, actually pretty awesome. Was it? I thought so. Was it was it? far more. Okay, so it was far no. more than a, than a previous <laughs> segment. Where as far as I, I was, I was concerned, it was like an extended version of that scene in The Big Lebowski, where the guy's landlord is doing a stage show by himself. Except there, there were like fifteen of him. That's what that felt like to me. So this is this is comedy legend Harvey Corman. Uh, he's he he plays several characters in this. Um, he plays Chef Gormanda, and Chef Gormanda is on the television. I will give it to, they had a Star Trek moment in this, which is in that the Chewbacca household has flat screen TVs. They're clearly like, they're, they're LEDs. <laughs> like there's no question about it long before that. But on this TV in the kitchen, uh, this chef is showing how to prepare Bantha. And uh, there's no cooking involved, apparently. Um, they just throw it in a pot with some like juice and spices and just jab at it a lot. And the big joke in, in this chef moment is that like minutes into it is revealed that this character who is of course Harvey Corman in drag um, has like multiple arms. So at one point he, he needs more arms and another arm comes out of his side and then another one comes out. And it's just the classic, you know, another person is behind him with his arms uh, through his, like underneath his, his, his armpits. Um, I mean, it could be effective. I saw it and I was like, oh, this was the joke that they spent five minutes getting to <laughs> for this segment. <laughs> it reminded me, there was um, an extra in one of the PlayStation 2 era uh, Mortal Kombat games called which i think they brought back called cooking with scorpion and it was just a guy cosplaying as the character scorpion mutilating uh, uh thawed chicken before throwing it in the oven and it reminded me of that like it's the whole oh look we're gonna make fun of cooking segments but again it was so bizarre because they don't put it in an oven or over a fire or anything they just throw it in the pot and then they're like and you're done and i'm like whoa you're going to split hairs when we're talking about the Star Wars holiday special where nothing fucking makes sense anyway. At least this segment had great monologue. Great. I disagree. Yeah. I was not engaged, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, my um, God. I mean, I think maybe back to what Tad was saying earlier. Maybe if it was just like a one minute or like 30-second yeah. exactly. segment, we could all like, oh, okay, that's funny for like, you know. But like, you, you, was, you dragged yeah. me along for that long. I just I uh, I don't care anymore. Well, and the physical comedy could have been more clever, right? Like, what if mm -hmm. one of they, the forearms come out earlier, and then one of them starts to like sneak something, and he slaps it? You know, like it's his own hand. That's funny, right? Like yeah. it becomes like a Doc Ock. Moment, there should have you know? been more beats. Like, um, instead yeah. of the one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean Harvey Corman is a great actor, so he he does what he can. But it just it feels like everything is in the in many of these segments like this one it feels like it's just ad lib but there was no content there um so i don't know but uh after that i think we go to um uh a store we go to a new location we go to a store art carney plays a big role in this as um son dan i guess uh who actually was originally i think going to play like a baba fett role if i remember correctly in the the, the lore that character name um, but was repurposed for this. Uh, and he's like a rebel sympathizing friend of the Chewbacca family who is like a salesman. And we see him essentially get getting shaken down by uh, an Imperial uh, officer. And, and that kind of sets up who he is. And then he shows up and is sort of the person who speaks English in the household for the audience. 
uh, as he mm -hmm. hangs out with the Wookiees. Uh, again, he's a great character actor. Uh, he's just not given a whole lot to do. I mean, he has to just essentially carry the plot along and it's a lot to ask of him. I mean, even Princess, so they have like a little, like behind a picture, they have like a little video monitor, which I assume is like their clandestine way to touch base with um, Luke and the rest of the rebellion. And, and like, that's where uh, Mark Hamill as Luke uh, Skywalker with R2-D2 shows up at one point on the screen. And then, uh, Leia, the C-3PO shows up and they, they talk through that. And even in that, Leia has C-3PO who is a translator droid. She's like, can you put, do you have anybody else there? And they're like, yeah, this guy. And they're like, can you put him on, the guy that speaks English that I can understand? Um, if they, I don't know why they were just like no subtitles because at this point, give us subtitles for God's sake because I can't understand. Like, I just, I don't want to listen to the shrieking groaning for two hours, uh, but we do. Um, so I mentioned Luke Skywalker here. Uh, it is off, was anybody else right away off, like totally like confused when he came on screen because his makeup, he's got mm -hmm. cake makeup on and eyeliner. It's like he's letting that bake before doing contouring. Like it is hardcore. Right. Um, I was like, they caught him getting ready for his drag show. They did the exact same makeup on him as they did on Leia. It's like they had it on a towel and then they just put it over their face and pulled it off. Um, there is actually a reason for this. Uh, in 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 uh, seven in right before this, um, Mark Hamill got in a super bad car accident. Uh, he almost died, and he was pretty banged up. So they essentially were like, "Well, we have to keep pay, you know pancaking makeup on to make this less noticeable." I think you at that point, man, make him banged up and say that there was a problem. You know, there was an explosion or something because the makeup's really unsettling. It doesn't even look soldier. like him. It's easy to write that stuff off when it's like he gets into friggin' space fights all the time. Something well, blows up in space, whatever. Well, in, in the scene he's it's in, a, he's You in. don't want to scare the kitties, man. It's a holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a well, minute. You know, about Star Wars. Like, really heavy eyeliner on him. And it's like, that doesn't really get explained by the pancake makeup. Like there's like, we're just gonna go full Yeah, face. I don't know what they were doing. I, like, I really don't. But again, um, maybe they were fake lashes. Maybe he lost them. I really don't know. It's just, it's real. I would find it more upsetting than some bruises and, and stitches. I don't know exactly what the extent of it was, but it would have made sense too to me because in his scene, he is trying to fix some sort of propulsion engine or something in like a workshop with R2-D2. And so, like, it would have made sense that there was an explosion because, like, the whole joke is in that one, which, again, it just doesn't play off very well, is R2-D2 keeps trying to tell him that something's wrong and smoking behind him. And he keeps being like, hold on, this is really important, R2-D2. And then, of course, he realizes he turns around and he's like, you were supposed to be watching this. You're like, I get the joke, but they do it twice. Like, it just happened. Like, don't, you can't just do a joke twice in a row and expect any payoff the second time around. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but he's in this, uh, and then um, Leia's role is even weirder uh, and smaller at first because she does a video, and like I said, she just sort of seems mildly irritated that she can't understand the Wookiees, even though C-3PO is translating for her right next to her. Um, and then she shows up at the very end when they're at the Tree of Life uh, ceremony for Life Day, and she sings a song. Now, apparently, according to Carrie Fisher, uh, who we miss dearly, uh, God, in, infinity rest her soul. Um, 
she said, I'm only going to do this if I can sing. And actually, it makes sense because I didn't know this until this moment, but she actually has quite a nice voice. She can sing. She's clearly trained. Um, she did say, though, that she absolutely hated the song that they chose for her to sing and that they were basically like, it's not going to change. Um, this is what we have. That brings us to the music in this. There are uh, three musical numbers. Am I? No, four. There's four musical numbers. And they are all, they are downers. They are so down and depressing. I mean, Jefferson Starship kind of tries to get it up, but it sort of just comes out as like uh, pseudo adult contemporary before adult contemporary. And it's like the lyrics are like, will you light this sky on fire? Um, it's just it's just depressing. Like nothing felt like it was written for this special. Nothing feels Star Wars about these. Um, the song that Leia sings at the end is a really drawn out, weird ballad. Like it was cut from like um, the first script draft of Sound of Music. And then they were like, oh, this isn't gonna fly. And they fired the composer. Like it, it reads like that. And then the most insane I'm going to say this is the most insane moment, not only in this special, not only in Star Wars history, but in any primetime era special, is Diane Carroll doing what is supposed to appear to be like a, uh, an arousing porn video experience for Itchy while he's sitting in the living room. So what happens is, is uh, when Art Carney the, comes in, you know, as the... Uh, goods dealer he's got gifts for everyone and he gives he sets up itchy in the i think they call it the mind diffuser or something like that it, it's some sort of mind muddling like it's not a positive term like it's it, it's um it's got some weird name and it's it looks it's like a vr chair you know you sit down and strap in kind of thing and or a hair dryer and they sit him in and he's like, this is, uh, it's just really going to get you going. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty much some, like he says something like that. Like it's clearly supposed to be sexual. And then it's this complete, pardon the term, mind fuck of like kaleidoscope vision with uh, uh, Diane Carroll in like this outfit or, or some sort of dancers that are like duplicated on the screen. They look like, a, like loogies or raw oysters or sperm or like eggs and egg drop soups, like backpedaling across a floor that they've green screened, like back and forth. And then we get like varying close-ups of Diane Carroll while she's singing. Now, I will say this, Diane Carroll's very beautiful and I thought her outfit was actually really cool. It's like sort of a fishish water-like, like you can't, she has, there's no hair for her. It's just, he's got this headpiece that's like sort of fabric or jewels hanging it's very drag race like it's it's very cool outfit i liked it a lot um but she sings this this song it's like the the main lyric or message is like um let this minute last forever and that thing feels like 30 minutes straight i don't know i didn't time it it's probably closer to like eight but that is a long ass song it's very it's, meta <laughs> it is because it feels like it's a thousand years and yeah. it is brutal and the idea that and we get weird cuts to itchy's face as he like spasms and it just feels dirty and erotic in a weird way like what she's doing is not she's sexy what she's doing is not sexual and so to have it play this way is so weird and i guess writer and producer um uh, Mitzi, I, f I forget her name, 
but in my notes here, apparently she said, Mitzi Welsh, uh, she said the Diane Carroll segment was intended to be quote, softcore porn that would pass the censors. Now it's clear in the script that's kind of what it's supposed to be, but what in God's name, like there are sexier commercials in between this um, that, than, than anything else. Like it was just the weirdest, like, is this music to kill yourself to? I don't, I didn't, I thought it was a euthanasia chair when I first watched it because it was the only explanation for that performance. But why? I, I don't know. And then and that's it. That's the thing. But why? Did anyone ask her why they even felt this segment was like part, like, let's stick this in a Star Wars special. Why not? So the other thing is that um, there's only one credited director on this program, Steve Binder. Steve Binder, uh, he was famous essentially for doing musical um, television shows and uh, variety shows. I mean, he's done, he did a, a documentary on Elvis. He did uh, like Aladdin on Ice, Beating the Beast on Ice in the 90s. He did uh, Ringling Brothers stuff. Um, Barry Manilow worked with him, The Beach Boy, like all these big, um, the Steve Allen comedy hour way back in the 60s. He did all these big productions that are kind of like this. So I see why they brought him on. But he actually wasn't the only director. He was the second director because David Akumba, uh was started this and filmed several segments. Now, David Akumba did music as well. Um, Hank Williams uh, did a, a, a special that um, David Akumba directed, uh, but he also did some other films. Uh, like he did uh, 73's Slipstream. He did Nightlife in 1989, which is kind of an interesting movie. So he did a lot more traditional film. And I guess he was, we only have his take on it, but was fed up with the production early on and left. But this was one of the segments uh, that he directed. Now, he directed this segment and he directed, uh, oh, I'm sorry, he didn't direct this one. He did Jefferson Starship, which again, was much closer to a straight up regular video and the B. Arthur section, which we will also get to. But I will say, I think those in general were of a better quality than Steve Binder's content um, because it felt more, it felt like something I would see in a variety show. I don't think, we'll talk about the B. Arthur one in a minute, but I think it was a little better executed. Um, the thing he did like, uh, did do, which I absolutely adored, is he commissioned the animated segment that comes almost halfway through the movie. Now, let's talk about this animated segment because uh, we recently did also in another holiday special, A Cosmic Christmas by Nelvana, the Canadian animation group. Well, Nelvana before A Cosmic, actually after A Cosmic Christmas, but pretty close, because that was 77, uh, did this animated short, which did make its way onto, I believe the Blu-ray set for the Star Wars Complete Saga um, as an Easter egg. So that's this is the only part of this special that was ever officially released by LucasArts or Disney. This animated special is cool to me. If you like weird 70s, Ralph Bakshi, Don Bluth, sort of rough but different animation or um, 70s issues of heavy metal where you get a lot of European influence in the artwork, you'll probably like this because it's the uh, first appearance of Boba Fett. It's a little vignette where the Millennium Falcon crashes on this planet. Chewbacca seems to be acting erratically and has Han Solo tied up and so R2-D2, C-3PO, and Luke Skywalker land on this planet and try to figure out what's going on and rescue them. And they run into Boba Fett, who's like, I'll help you, blah. And uh, there's cool creatures in this. There's really weird aliens. 
Um, the animation is super keep on trucking. And uh, it, it, to me, it felt like the Boba Fett character from, from the little bit we see him in Empire Strikes Back. I mean, he, it felt like him. Um, it, he's a cunning, calculating bounty hunter who of course turns on uh, the group. Although this, the plotting is not particularly solid because what his entire purpose was there made no sense. He could have captured all of them quite easily while they were, uh, uh, you know, being affected by this sleeping disease, which, which is what has happened to Chewbacca and Han Solo. So it doesn't make much sense, but it also doesn't matter. This I would have loved to see as a feature film. Um, also, people will recognize that the droids animated series and the Ewok animated series that followed um, a few years later uh, were also produced by Nelvana. So this presumably is what got them that. You can kind of see the style in those, but again, this is this was clearly a little higher budget, more conceptual. They were allowed to be a little crazier with this one uh, than the other more traditional animated series uh, episodes of the Ewok and Droid specials. So that's my take. Tad, did you, or, or did any of you guys have any feeling when the animated special part came on? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this kind of shows even me, you know, who's been a fan of Star Wars for a long time, it's also before my time. You know, there are people who were watching it before I was born. It shows you kind of how, not only how Star Wars has evolved, but what it originally kind of intended to be. And this, this whole holiday special kind of is the, you never were supposed to take Star Wars too seriously. Star Wars has been around for so long and had so much creative dissonance and uh, conflicting visions that you end up with, Sometimes uh, you, you sometimes you're really never sure what the hell the point is supposed to be. Like you watch this and you go, "This is what Star Wars might have ended up being. It may never have gotten its empire that you know made it into a serious property that really like allowed the ball to get rolling. This is this is uh, this could have been just like you know something quaint out of the 70s and 80s, like a lot of stuff like Jim Henson was putting out at the time, where it kind of just was a single one-off thing and it never took off because it didn't. Nobody intended it to, and it's one of those things like it shows how much Lucas did not plan shit out ahead of time. And the moment that he handed it off to someone else, surprise, kids, there are still creative vision problems with Star Wars to this day because someone will hand it off and no one knows what the fuck to do with it because they just don't have the vision to, to execute it. And the, the, uh, this animated series, like I remember watching it when I was a kid and going, why don't they make more of these? Because the voice work was fantastic. The animation was really cool. I saw Luke pilot a Y-Wing for the once and only time ever. And it kind of- And also the Y-Wing can separate? Yes, so I didn't it can. know it has it has like the the cockpit can separate and act on its own. Uh, that was a neat little touch because they clearly did get the schematics, you know, the the animation sheets or the prop sheets for everything because they they got what existed in the universe already. They got it right, you know, between the Millennium Falcon and the Y wing and and all that stuff. Um, we didn't see Boba Fett's ship at this point. Boba Fett's costume is a little different. It's pretty close but he has this spooky eye symbol in the center of his forehead. So um, it was so weird. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, it was, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, it was definitely, um, it was just, and there were neat touches in it. There's this moment early on where um, when Luke and, and the droids land, they get attacked by this giant sort of, I don't know what you would call it. It's, it's like a sea monster uh, dinosaur and it starts eating the ship. 
And then a couple of laser blasts go off and Boba Fett's riding something similar, this giant thing. And um, it starts sniffing on the ship and he's like, it's looking for food. I'm like, well, we don't have much, but he can have it. And, and Luke hands him presumably their only food source and the creature eats it. And Boba Fett doesn't stop him or anything. He just, he just says this line that's like, it's foolish to give your only food to a dumb, you know, to a, to a, a, a dumb life form. Like, you know, you, you're, you're wasting it on it. And it's just like, but it was so, it just told you so much about that character right away. And I was like, wow, this is more characterization for, for Boba Fett that we've since been built on by all of the extra canon material and now the Mandalorian that is, is really interesting. I just like that kind of thing. Um, it was good. It was good storytelling. And it was neat to see that in the middle of this otherwise insane garbage. Um, I want to move on now to the B. Arthur bit. B. Arthur, of course, amazing actress, um, Dorothy Spornak from Golden Girls, uh, a, a comedy icon. Um, sort who's, of. Who's the dude in that scene? I, like I a... Yeah, I don't. I didn't recognize, but I'm sure he's well known. His name uh, is. Uh, uh, it's a funky sort of alien name that she keeps saying incorrectly. Uh, so it will, it will come to me at some point. I'll, I'll dig through. But uh, it, so it's, it's in the cantina and most Eisley, right? And it's, it's literally the cantina where Greedo gets shot, but it's before Greedo gets shot. We can, this is where the timing doesn't quite make sense because Greedo is there, right? He's in the audience, isn't he? Um, another, I think true. so. It, it, it looked a, like, it, it honestly looked like they, and again, I'm, I'm going to keep harping on it. It looks like a lot of the same creatures. So they literally Because they had the costumes already. They did. They repainted <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah, they repainted them for this and they reused them all, including the band and everything. Um, there's yeah. one addition, which is a big white rat, which was actually uh, made for uh, 78's, uh, food of the gods, I believe, and they and they reused it. Um, and seventy uh, six is food of the gods, excuse me. And they reused it and actually added it to the Star Wars universe canon. So it is a Tintin dwarf uh, in the Star Wars universe, but it's actually a prop from Food of the Gods. So that was kind of interesting. But yeah, these are the actual costumes that were worn in the film, and they repainted them. So I don't think they repainted them particularly differently uh, but it was kind of cool because I feel like a lot of us who have seen this in the past or heard about it it's so bad but for those of us who like Tad said part of the love was seeing all this insane content and world building and little bits and pieces that we just wanted more of we get more footage of them in this than exists anywhere else out of you know after uh after A New Hope and it was neat to see them B. Arthur, of course, can act her way through anything. Uh, and in, in her bit, she is the, the maitre d' and the bartender. Uh, and she has like this, this guy who's fallen in love with her, this alien who has a giant hole in, in the top of his head and drinks through it. Uh, very odd moment. But he brings her a flower and she keeps trying to brush him off. And then after he's essentially assaulted her it's supposed to be in good fun but she like he like goes behind the bar and like grabs her around the waist like it's just very uncomfortable in our day and age although she doesn't seem particularly bothered by it it's just it's the kind of thing that if you saw at a restaurant you would hope you're the kind of person who'd be like hey she said no buzz off scumbag you know like that sort of moment um 
but it's sort of played for laughs. And then over their TV, because I guess they have a TV in there, because they didn't before, but they have a TV and the, um, the Empire is like, you know, all bars must close down now. Like they're basically, they're trying to stop, uh, you know, rebels from running material, I assume. But everything, the same thing that's happening on uh, Kushuk is happening uh, on Mos Eisley. And so they have to shut down. So she's trying to get everyone out and she sings the uh, Star Wars equivalent of closing time and uh, tries to get everyone out and she comps a bunch of drinks and of course she's be arthur she can't sing of course that's not her thing so she does this sort of talk song thing it goes on too long but i would hazard to say i found this one one of the more successful ones because at least we got a bunch of aliens we got the cantina it has the classic cantina music and i understood what they were trying to do it's sort of a little goof on this guy who's in love with her and it was kind of the idea, if not the execution, was fun to see the people that are working at the cantina that we've only ever seen as a, because it doesn't really look like a hive of scum and depravity in this. It's kind of more like a Norm's, you know, or a Denny's. Um, I don't know. What were you guys' take on this segment? Because it's one of the bigger uh, segments. It, so, it yeah. So, very cheers. Like, it, like uh, the way she's talking to them was like the regular crowd that's there all the time that she has like clear like established relationships with um with their personalities like the older woman at a biker bar you know yeah. it's her bar mm -hmm. uh clearly uh, this is like it must be like late at night because the the crowd in this bar during the scenes in 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 the star wars film uh were very ornery uh it yeah. was they're very un very unpleasant this uh this was a, a very jolly crowd uh you know, just somebody walking in, you know, doesn't just instantly start a fight, which, you know, didn't the uh, Luke yeah, walks this in. This is the basically... post-gentrification uh, yeah. Mos Eisley Cantina. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like, uh, on apparently on Tatooine, it's like the reverse. Mos Eisley Cantina during the day is like Waffle House, but at night it's like Denny's. I don't understand the reference, but. Waffle House at two they, to four a.m. Two, two to four a.m. Waffle House is a lot like Moss Eisley. Oh, okay. Okay, I just know they don't close for any kind of weather. It's like yes, a whole exactly. thing, right? Sandstorms, whatever, we're open. That is the end of my knowledge on the Waffle House. <laughs> well, I think Moss Eisley is the Waffle House. No. This is a why good time. Would we ever be to a, why would we ever go to a Waffle House? Yeah, this is a good time to mention that uh, Jeffrey Tucker and Amanda Longley are East Coast dwellers for the most part, although Jeff and Mandy have both been elsewhere. But there are not that many Waffle Houses on the East Coast, whereas <laughs> where I am place. in California. I, I'm not a, I mean, I lived in Seattle for a long time. I, I'm not yeah. aware of any in that area. You, you... Uh, I used to travel down south, like in Georgia, yeah, yeah. and see them there, but I was, there was, no, I did not. What is on the East Coast? <laughs> Roscoe's, Roscoe's baby. Okay. Can, oh, yeah. So this is sad. It's making me hungry and I don't have it's terrible. That. We're going to get all kinds of negative comments about being like Waffle House snobs or something. Yeah. It's just Jeff and Mandy. Okay. It's just I'm us. Free of this. No. So, so yeah. So most likely, so it was neat to see. Um, but again, it's just a long bit. I mean, this is a really long bit and her song is a downer. It's about closing down. And at the end, the bouncer is crying. Like, you're just like, where's the holiday cheer? man like i don't know who approved this so this gets done 
Um, a stormtrooper gets thrown off the railing of, of uh, Chewbacca's house when uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca get there. They did have a moment. I actually think that the, the Imperial troops in this movie are probably the most Star Wars thing about it because they are essentially Nazi stormtroopers, you know? They come into the house to search. They uh, needlessly break and trash little, little kid Lumpy's room and make him cry. Um, I mean, it's just, they're just nasty. Uh, and I kind of like the touch that, so he gets thrown over the railing or falls over the railing and uh, Han Solo sees his gun and he picks it up and chucks it over the railing too. And then shortly thereafter, uh, I think Han Solo's gone by this point, a big Imperial alert comes over their TV thing and says like, there's a, a stormtrooper stationed at your location that hasn't checked in. Like what, you know, please respond and check in or whatever. And Art Carney's character puts in his ID and it's like, you know, peddler, whatever, what is the situation? And he's like, yeah, that guy robbed me and took a bunch of food and headed for the hills. And the, the Imperial soldier's response isn't like, you're lying. He's just like, thank you. We will seek to trick him down, which is, t I'm sorry, that's, that seems to be how actual military forces under dictatorships operate. If, if, if North Korea is anything to go by, defectors defect because they have horrible conditions. And sometimes it causes terrible things, you know, to their families. But that just seemed like such a weirdly real moment in such an insane production. Um, I, I mean, also though, like, I don't know much about this planet. Maybe there is no ground underneath them. Maybe it's just like a swamp, but you'd think they'd wanted to address through dialogue or something, what they're gonna do with the dead body that's sitting underneath their treehouse, uh, which is not. Um, It'll be that would have been another 30 minute song. You know, that's Jefferson Starship's <laughs> cut segment. Oh, see, that, Nate, that just reminds me of when we used to play Shadowrun and my character would uh, just leave the, the bodies wherever we shot them in his in his own backyard yeah i'd forgotten that moment but there were oh, a lot of fun things that yeah god bless role playing um mm, i missed yeah. the rooftop so <laughs> inside jokes galore uh, maybe we'll do a shadow run maybe we'll oh. do a, a twitch stream at some point so i guess the things that i liked about this movie were the the animated segment I loved all around. I mean, problems with standing, I loved it. I wish the entire thing was just an animated story in the Star Wars universe. I love the idea now of maybe Disney getting sort of an animatrix vibe on, where they have just commission a bunch of different animation houses or indie uh, artists to do segments uh, in the Star Wars universe. That would be really neat. And I think it could come up with some really cool stuff. Um, of course, Star Wars has always Lucasfilm uh, and hopefully Disney, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know about the future of the fan film in the Star Wars universe because Star Wars has always been very supportive of their fan communities creating new content. And Disney is not traditionally on board with, with that at all. So we will see how that goes. But, um, but no, I enjoyed that. I liked seeing the aliens in the most likely Cantina. I am going to sickly say I kind of enjoyed Itchy's design just because it's so repulsive. Like I said, I wish it was in a horror movie because it's really unsettling. It would have made a great 70s, you know, Bogey Creek 5. Uh, I guess 70s is too early for that. It would have made a nice side film to the Bogey Creek series. All right. I think we're at the moment where uh, uh, we start to get to recommendations, but I kind of want to do this first. 
um, and go around the horn and say what we liked or appreciated about this uh, this film because it's very easy to pick apart because it's a true mashup. And part of the the history that I didn't get to uh, that I mentioned earlier with George Lucas is that he hated this. Uh, when he saw the final product, because he greenlit it and had all sorts of notes, um, like you can't you know, have Wookiees talk anything other than Wookiee sounds, all these things, he hated it. And after the airing, he literally tried to buy every master tape uh, on the, on the, uh, from stations and, and everywhere to try and squelch it. And he claimed that he did, but of course we know that he did not um, because there are many bootlegs uh, that are not just from private tape machines. There are apparently masters floating around. So he didn't, but he tried. And I'm sure that that expense was, uh, was large. The, the other thing is, just take a listen, we talked about the directors, the writers on this, I mean, they're, they're not nobodies. They're really big writers. So the fact that it came out so unfunny and so weird is shocking. Um, the Rod Warren was a head writer. He wrote for Lily Tomlin's shows for, I mean, all of her 70s career. Uh, did so many other things. Wrote for tons of uh, television show specials as well as award ceremonies. Uh, did the uh, lots of stuff for the Academy Awards, the Primetime Academy Awards, all these things that often have good comedic writing. Then you have comedy icon Bruce Valanche was a writer on this. Uh, Bruce Valanche, of course, uh, our drag fans will recognize him as a, a guest judge on Drag Race. But also, I, I just don't even, I don't even know what to say. Like Bruce Valanche has written for every award show ever uh, in, in the United States and probably some elsewhere and the Tony Awards and the People's Choice Awards and God knows so many places. Um, Bruce Valanche has since said that he was doing a lot of cocaine while they were working on this project. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, sure. Him, Carrie Fisher had some stories. You Pat think Proft wasn't lit up the whole time. Yeah, right. Uh, Pat Proft uh, also was a writer. Pat Proft wrote uh, Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Doof. Um, also wrote some of the scary movie films, uh, Naked Gun. Uh, I mean, a big comedy writer. You know, wrote for Mary Tyler Moore's second show, the Mary Tyler Moore Hour. Uh, I believe that was her second show. And then you have Leonard Rips. Leonard Rips uh, uh, wrote Frankenweenie, um, the, the original screenplay, the 1984 one, which they used uh, when Disney made Frankenweenie 2012, and wrote for the Pain TV series, uh, wrote a lot of episodes of Full House, um, also wrote for the Rodney Dangerfield show, which I don't know if anybody, uh, the, the special, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that, but it's a fun time. And then of course we mentioned Mitzi Welsh, uh, Mitzi Welsh was a music uh, department employee who also wrote a lot, um, worked with Carol Burnett and uh, Whoopi Goldberg, um, Dolly Parton. So it's just, it's really mind boggling how so many people, like so many people who have pedigree and clearly talent because they have long careers could do something so abysmal. And I can only imagine that there was just a ton of, hands in the pot, poking back, pushing back. Uh, you know, George Lucas, I'm sure, had ideas that just they fought against. I don't know what the case was, though, because no one has come out and said, it must have been a million little things, because no one's come out and said, this is what happened. Everyone is just like, well, it was a terrible this, or this was real bad. I'm like, everything is real bad, pretty much. Um, 
So yeah, so let's talk about what we like. Tad, what did you like about the Star Wars Holiday Special 1978? There were enough segments that were done well enough. Like that opening scene with Chewie and Han felt like one of the movies. Like it, the, the, the Millennium Falcon looked proper. They were acting, you know, Harrison Ford, you know, acted his typical Han Solo, which for him is natural. It just felt great. The, the animated segment was great. Um, even some of the little interlude bits where some of the original cast were there and filling it up, uh, nothing particularly happened, but they were there. It was, it was kind of, it feels normal almost in, in all the, the insanity. It's like just seeing two or three of the original cast just there and just acting themselves you know, it kind of grounded it. And then that cantina scene, I loved the giant rat. I, I, I have to reiterate, I thought it was a great uh, uh, model. It looked adorable. It moved great. Um, B. Arthur and her, uh, basically her rep reprising her bit role from uh, History of the World, because I yeah. swear they basically dressed her and even put the same damn wig on her head. Um, and I also really appreciate that uh, Carrie Fisher went all out and made sure that she also didn't wear a bra for this uh, reprisal of her role as well. And I tell you, it's got to be the time because the commercials, no, no one was wearing them either. Um, it's just a very, it's odd. And this, I'm going to shout this out because it made me think of it again. There was one commercial where they did something that they just wouldn't, I don't think, do on, uh, on, on normal network TV now, which is, um, of course, there were several commercials for women's hose you know, uh, the you know, pantyhose. And at one point, a woman stretches it and then turns it to show the inside of the crotch where it's it's aerated. So your crotch isn't, you know, it's just sweat like all men's underwear ever is. And just the shot of essentially uh, thin netting for where a woman's vagina is was something that they wouldn't do now. I guarantee Incredible. you. Yeah, I guarantee you they would not do it now. And it was sort of crazy <laughs> to see something from 78 that they wouldn't put on TV now, even though it's just a garment. It's not even, they're not even wearing it. It's just a garment that she opened from the package. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, and I will say too, Tad, I do kind of like the thing that you raised where we really do see these characters, it's sort of like fan fiction in a weird way. We see them yeah. just doing normal things and it makes you think like, wow, I never thought that there was downtime between the films. It just, you, you feel like it goes boom, boom, like everyone's just essentially running from scene to scene. And that, this is, this is not the case here. Well, They're just kind of hanging out. It was one of the, it was one of the things when, when you grew up with the novels, even the bad novels, there was downtime in there and you got to kind of, they, they had the chance to kind of humanize some of the characters. Like one of the books in particular Han and Luke were like undercover on a planet and uh, they were having a discussion about whether you could use a lightsaber to, to shave your beard. And Luke was like, I suppose it's possible if you were really careful. And it was just so out of place. But at the same time, it's like they do, these are, these are supposed to be normal people in their universe. So yes, they would have these awkward downtime moments together. <laughs> it's very strange and very strange. Yes. And of course, if anyone is interested and has never dove in, there are a wealth of novels and comic books and things which are considered non-canon. Uh, the other thing I want to mention too is we're talking about canon, uh, as I'm talking about canon, because yes, I just brought it up. Star Wars special, while it's not canon, many parts of it have been incorporated into apparently official Lucasfilm canon, which is up to Disney to take or not. But apparently uh, Chewbacca's family members are canon. And the... Um, 
the let's see what else the, as i said the the rat from the fruit of the gods 1976 is canon uh, so there there are little things in there and i i think that the i think that they have said uh, or insinuated at, at least with its inclusion that the animated section from uh this is canon which is interesting because uh, it it kind of explains why they knew boba fett in empire strikes back a little bit or at least knew of him so it was interesting jeff what did you like about this film gosh there's a whirlpool ad where a eagle comes down and oh, uh, yeah. you know catches a fish <laughs> i mean watching an eagle hunt is an amazing thing i mean i could i mean if i could go out my door and watch that i would i would watch it for hours so uh, that was entertaining that was the first and only time I'd ever heard the term slipshod in a commercial. And I, and they, 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 they jammed it right in there. They absolutely knew what they were doing. Uh, jokes aside. Um, I don't know. I, I like the idea of doing things a little smaller, like, you know, yeah. Star Wars and Star Trek have a tendency at least kind of the, uh, I'd say Star Wars and the more recent Star Trek to, to make things so big. Like it's the stakes mm. are like all of living things in every corner of the universe are at stake here. Um, the idea of kind of breaking things down and having like smaller stories, um, you know, more personal, more about characters. Uh, I like the idea of that it wasn't executed, you know, in any sort of <laughs> successful way, of, in successful way here. But the idea of that, I, I, I do like a lot. I like the idea of, of breaking things down and, and just telling smaller stories in this in this universe. Well, you know, th there's often the idea that you know films are for big are for big events and TV is where the little stuff can happen. And I do think that there's some truth to that. And the there's been so much talk and so many promises, uh, you know, pre Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm, that there would be television series, live action series, um, that have never come to fruition in the Star Wars universe that I do think that that is a natural outcropping that we're starting to see, like with the Mandalorian, um, you know, yep. th there's definitely room for this. And one thing I'll say about things like the Mandalorian is they still are using pre-existent, sort of pre-existent vibes and set pieces and things mm -hmm. and deserts and things um, that Star Wars has already established. But Star Wars, I mean, every film in the, the original trilogy introduced new biomes, new if you know new characters so things do did grow in the success of that and i think that there's room for that still and i hope that it continues to grow and i hope that disney continues to expand upon it exactly, um, you know, yeah. after 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 solo didn't do as well as they'd hoped you know they they essentially canned a lot of single character films which is really where you can do a lot more of that narrow scope stuff more easily and that's a shame to me because uh, and we'll talk about this another day, but I think Solo... I, I feel like, yeah, like, I think Solo falls... Like, it was too big again. It was like, like, they... they, It started out kind of like a small, like, love story, but then it just it just kept, like, escalating and escalating, and it was just like, oh, okay, this well, thing's just like... And I mean, I'm, it, gonna, I'm gonna go to bat for the big stuff in films. I don't necessarily want to pay $17 to go see uh, a family drama in the Star Wars universe play out on screen. You yeah, know, I mean, um, I mean, but there's like, it's it didn't have to it didn't have to then like correlate to like, oh, like one of the the main characters is like like you know doing secret missions for you know the Sith, you know, like it just didn't need that. 
Uh, like you didn't but need then those tie-ins. We never could have uh, seen Chaucer go crazy alien and be killed. I mean, I'm just messing with you. No, yeah, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You I know, know what I mean? Like it didn't yeah. need that. Like it just could have been, you know, like a smaller contained thing I, in I its own of, thing. And I sort of see that argument as well with Rogue One. I mean, yeah. people, people loud that film and while there's some i enjoyed watching it the idea at the end where the entire the, the spoiler alert uh where all the characters die was an unnecessary cop-out it's like saying here's a self-contained story but only in the fact that we're going to kill everyone involved yeah that, that's a forced error because what happens is is if you allow these characters to continue on then all of a sudden it's a story about them they did this thing. It's not a story about the thing, but you're insisting on tying it back to this overarching um, yeah. uh, story. And I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it's necessary. And again, I think the Mandalorian is kind of starting to touch on that a little bit. Um, they're, they're playing with that. Uh, and I, yeah. as, as much as we all hate the pandemic, cause it's got awful horrible and it's cost so many lives and caused so much distress. It's just terrible. Um, I do feel like it's given a lot of uh, companies impetus to play with their streaming platforms um, and do things that are not something we ever would have thought would be done, like Disney putting out an episodic Star Wars live action show or um, HBO and Warner Brothers recutting and reshooting and putting out a four hour version of Justice League. Like these things would not have happened, I don't believe otherwise, uh, if they were not seeking content in new forms because of this. So Mandy, what did you like about this movie? Yeah, well. that's, a, that's a stingy face. <laughs> yeah, those of you who have the Patreon Good luck. And watch the video. I'd say first something smells in here. <laughs> oh, probably me. This film. Um, <laughs> this film, all the Wookie like unshampooed shag rugs. I didn't um, see one this... bathtub or shower in that place. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so first, I, I really liked that I had not ever seen this film before, <laughs> which is no longer true. <laughs> Second, um, I feel like I, I possibly learned more about the target audience of the Star Wars franchise at that time, specifically that they were advertising a car that in today's dollars was worth like $16,000. So they had, so I was like, oh, it's... um. I don't know, like a working man's. Yeah, can we talk about inflation? Those wagons were like $4,000 in 78. Yep. Like, so, yeah, I looked up the, because I'm a nerd, I looked up the inflation. It'd be about $16,000. So, it'd be like the low, like entry level Kia kind of car. So, um, so, yeah, definitely with all the union stuff, um, maybe the pantyhose is very like blue collar. I guess the audience that they were expecting or marketing to, which I, I thought that was interesting because I mean, like commercials, as you said, it really does yeah. feel that way. And this was, a, I mean, this was this was a big prime time air. Like this was, you know, mm -hmm. the the you know um, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, um, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, like as you night. mentioned, there there were not really any toy commercials until the very very end. So like maybe like wasn't really kids. It was like yeah, it was a weird. Toy show. So like. I really like that, but I got like a better idea because like having been born in like the early 80s, like I missed like having this be part of my adolescence and like, like I, 
acquired uh, Star Wars, like, you know, like, as a... As we all did. Second I think, generation, right? like, as all yeah. of us did. Like, we weren't there, like, when it first came out, so it was sort of like, uh, we picked it up later. Um, it, it was really, like, fun to maybe learn a little bit about, like, what the demographic looked like for Star Wars, like, at least for the Star Wars Christmas thing, and, like, kind of just feel a little bit more of that cultural aspects of it from that time period. Um, and then I also really liked how they played um, with and explored maybe, like, the, the technology available to, like, everyday people. Mm. So, like, the different versions of it. Like, we currently now have all these different versions of touchscreens, like, in every various size and um, transport transportable version of it. And in, in this, they had all these different versions of, like, these 3D, like, VR-type things. Um, and that was like different flavors of it. Uh, I thought that was interesting. They explored that. I think that's a good there point. You go. And I will say that uh, I don't think we're going to do a who would you recommend this for to because I think it's pretty clear. If you were a Star Wars fanatic, then you probably are the ones that are going to watch this film because not only is it difficult to get through for someone who doesn't have interest in Star Wars lore, but it's also uh, only available. Um, through bootlegs or of course it's always up in some form on YouTube um, somebody's put it up and then it gets taken down and so on and so forth but I highly recommend if you are going to watch it um, or if you want something in the background of your holiday party get the Rift Tracks again go to rifttracks.com uh, they are not paying us for this advertisement though I would love it um, just just go to rifttracks.com and pick up the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's funny. They're funny. Their writers are great. Mike and uh, Bill and Kevin are great. It's just a good time. And uh, it makes something that's pretty hard to tolerate because of the lack of, in, of a strong writing. Uh, very tolerable and actually very enjoyable. And uh, personally, I sleep to it. It's great. I laugh and then I fall asleep and I wake up and then I laugh again. You heard it right so, here. It's a great sleep aid. It's a great sleep aid. I mean, without it, I would just lose my mind without them making jokes because it would just be bare sounds over and over and over again. Uh, but that's it. it. Exhausting. That is it. I don't. I, I think. I think we've tagged it. I hope you guys have learned something new about the Star Wars Holiday Special. Also, where you can get it with some great comedy tracks. Uh, this is Nate Wyckoff for Cult and Classic Podcast. Thanks to the panel. As always. We're going to play out with All About Evil by The Chud. And I want to make sure everyone knows Colton Classic Podcast has a Patreon at patreon.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. You get pins, zines, awesome stuff, free stuff, free videos. You can watch us. Um, check it out. Pay what you can. Help us keep this and expand this. And also, please review us on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and anywhere you want to leave a review and subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a great holiday. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.